Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design in Melbourne at RMIT University. And I'm here with um, Ashley Parker, who's an interior designer and an architect, and also director of Parker Design in Melbourne. Welcome to the program, Ashley. Thanks, Stephen. It's very nice to be here. Um, Ashley, you cover one of my pet topics, or my pet interest, which is mm. shopping, <laughs> love shopping, love mm. the whole retail experience, and Parker Design really has built quite a reputation in that area, with working with people like David Jones, Myers, number of boutiques, high end, middle end, middle yeah. market. It's an interesting field. But before we get to that, I'm always interested in people's backgrounds. And um, you studied um, interior design at South Australian Institute of Technology, and then you came to RMIT and you completed a degree in architecture at RMIT. That's right, yes. Why I, the change? Didn't you feel like you had enough skills? No, no, no. I, I wanted to be an architect, and uh, my year 12 results in South Australia weren't quite all they needed to be and I was successful in getting into my second choice which was interior design. So I finished that and then uh, transferred to the architecture course at uh, SAIT. Uh, they gave me about a year's credit and then I fell in love with a Melbourne girl and moved over here when I was about 21 which um, put me into the uh, uh, RMIT school which was a different pace and style altogether than lazy little South Australia. So it introduced me to Melbourne and um, obviously I settled here and uh, it was a great course and Melbourne's a city I love, so all good. Ashley, I mean, one of your first projects as an architect was as a project architect working with Hassel on the Daimaru Melbourne Central complex, yeah. which must have been interesting. That was in the uh, late 80s. Late 80s through to about 91, and uh, we talked about that the other day. But it, it I think that introduced me to uh, retail, which I hadn't really thought about very much before. And, of course, there we had about 80 specialty shops, as well as Daimaru as a department store and food courts and cinemas, the whole whole thing. So I suddenly realised what a big field it, it is and um, uh, um, I, I realised that uh, there weren't a lot of practices around at that time that were specialising in retail. So I guess I saw an opportunity. And um, Daimaru demonstrated uh, um, a different way and approach for an apartment store. They had all the, the niceties that uh, the Japanese designers could introduce. They had little sprays over the uh, fruit and vegetable to keep everything nice and moist and they had little tea rooms with real fireplaces and it was a, a luxury that we hadn't really seen in Australia before. Actually it's probably uh, not the design so much but poor timing because the late 80s early 90s is probably one of the worst times in retail history I mean it was the recession yes. that we had to have according to a former Keating. Prime Minister, yes. Um, and it was dreadful. So I could imagine that, you know, even if it was the most successful design in terms of the way the design functioned, people just weren't opening their wallets. That's right. And uh, the team we had <coughs> um, uh, on the project, the Hassel team, we had about 80 in our team. And as the project was coming to completion, we were letting them go in groups of 10 every few weeks oh and they were going out into virtually no work and uh, as we both driving taxis they were and one, one guy opened a, 
opened a flower stall on the Hume Highway, um, which I thought was quite a creative idea, and uh, he succeeded. But uh, it was terrible to let them go. And you're right, no-one was spending money, so the retailers were struggling, and uh, a bad start for Melbourne Central and Diamaroo. I, I think Diamaroo was a fraction too early, as you say, the timing wasn't quite quite right there, I don't think. Melbourne's had quite a history of unsuccessful yeah. retail. <laughs> yes, um, we had Figgins Diorama also in the late 80s, which was Don Figgins' pride and joy, and that lasted mm. a very short time. And then we had quite the, exotic. And then yeah. we had the rebirth of George's, which really didn't go very far. No. What is it about Melbourne and retail, do you think, that is something that people need to understand? I think Melbourne is a great retail city and uh, um, it's very interesting to see a, a firm like David Jones relocate to Melbourne in terms of its head office. It because it's, Sydney. it's always been in Sydney and uh, um, and yet they, their reasoning is that they consider Melbourne the fashion capital of Australia, which I don't know if it was in the 80s, but it probably it is now. It's always been fairly strong. Uh, Melbourneans seem to love to shop, and um, they don't shop when times are tough, but they've always been attracted to their city, and there's traditions such as the old George's department store, lovely, beautiful uh, department store, even the Meyer Christmas windows, which I think used to be better than perhaps they are now, with all due respect. Um, People used to come in at night and line up in their kids in their dressing gowns to see these these windows. So there's been a strong tradition in Melbourne, and uh, it's it's what its roots are. I'm not quite sure, but it's definitely a shopping um, town. Um, Ashley, when you get a, a gig as large as David Jones, because that's a huge project, a refurbishment of um, David Jones, what goes through your mind? I mean, how do you? get inside consumers' minds when you're taking that journey? Um, the, the department store um, design work is quite different um, to a boutique and really a department store is um, a, a department store is dealing with every category of product and um, you're really acting like a real estate um, agent in a way in that you're allocating space to different uh, clients and different functions. Um, the key thing there is circulation and keeping people moving through the offer and it's always very difficult to get people up, up much above three floors in any kind of retail format whereas a department store is often six or seven so you have to layer it in such a way that you put the destinations at the top so if you're coming in to buy a, a new television set uh, you would uh, put that on a high level. If you're coming in to buy some fashion and it's cosmetics. more spontaneous or uh, cosmetics, you, you keep that low. So it's it's a structuring of, um, uh, of layers to keep circulation moving. The store here that we designed, we put a glass wall to Little Burke Street and um, that was a difficult thing to sell into David Jones but we wanted that facade to be quite beautiful and to have some lasting quality even though it's facing into a minor street 
because um, retailers, and particularly department stores, they don't like light very much. They want more control. Because it damages goods? Or? Not so much. They can't create the ambience, especially in fashion settings, that um, uh, they would like to if there's too much light. So we had to find a way of... Um, uh, mitigating the amount of light we were getting into the building and uh, we, we found ways to put uh, walls in front of glass and still retain the uh, uh, the facade we wanted. So quite different to uh, a small boutique in, in terms of planning because you're covering every category. Every category has different requirements and you're trying to keep people moving and accommodating all sorts of different fuels depending on what, you, what the offer is within the category. What do you think... When you're looking at a department store, apart from circulation, um, signposting very clearly, mm. what, are, what are the things that you always get stumped at, about and, and really kind of takes quite a, a long time to get right that people don't even notice? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I, think the, um, uh, I, I think the feeling at the entry is always difficult and I'm not even sure that I can give you an example of where I think it's been completely successful. The, the department stores always like to push you straight into the cosmetic hall and you get that great waft of perfume and people with little cards that they try to hand to you as you go through. Um, whereas uh, um, the really beautiful department stores in the world, such as Galleries, Lafayette or Barney's in New York, they have a lovely transition zone and it's more of a sense of entry. And I think that's very hard to uh, convince a retailer to... Um, give that space up because they're very keen to use all the available space. So the, the store entry, I think, is is important. That you're entering a special space. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we look at, you know, even just simple things like the designer handbags in Myers. Yes. You know, it isn't just putting things on shelves. No. It is about circulation. It is about really making that product elevating it several notches so you really want to. Yes, it, it, and it can be a simple thing. Um, Why we um, have uh, a industrial designer within our group is the merchandising fixture is a very important part of um, the space you're creating because obviously that's going to support the product. Some retailers are happy to put the product on the floor and just the psychological impact that has. It you almost think, looks second-hand. Oh, you know, you don't... Why do I want to buy something that's, you know, been mopped around at night. and uh, So the fixture can elevate the product and can suddenly make the product look, you know, a normal piece of merchandise look better. You give it a little bit of space, some nice lighting. Uh, it, it just elevates the, um, the feel. And that particular designer handbag project we did here in, uh, uh, for Maya, uh, they were trying to lift that category because they can see a lot of opportunity in small leather and uh, fashion accessories. So they're trying to create the impression by spending a lot of money on the ground floor near the entry in its own room that uh, they really are leading this category within the department stores. It, it is, I mean, when you get it right, it is spectacular. I don't know if you've been to the store uh, Joy. Yes. Joyce, Joyce, yes, Joyce, Joyce. In, in Hong Kong. You actually walk through, it's like an exhibition. I mean, when I was there, it was like an exhibition. And then you get onto the serious retail therapy. Yeah. But 
before you get in, as you said, there's that experience. So you actually feel like you're walking through a major installation. Yes. And then yeah. there's that sense of arrival. And I think it's um, it's as if they've curated the product. You know, they've selected products. It is a little bit like a, a display or a performance. Uh, yeah, performance. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I think the um, uh, I, I think that sense of display and a selection of product and its display is, is the is the trick. Um, now, Joe Black, um, that's another store that you worked on. Yes. Um, menswear, I imagine, and I would say Joe Black's probably middle market. Uh, it's up. middle and uh, um, probably pitched at someone younger than me, I'd have yeah. to say, but it's a, it, it's a mid-price point. So, uh, however, it's got an edginess to it, the product, and uh, this is an example of um, the, the department stores being real estate agents, really. So it's all changing. What they're doing is they're trying to reinvent the department store by getting these very strong brands and inside the within the store. So they rent space to these brands and sign a, a deal, and then they can offer their network uh, to that particular brand. So Joe Black is a fairly new um, um, brand coming into Australia, a couple of stores, but they can't afford to roll them out everywhere. If you do a deal with a David Jones or a Meyer, they will give you a piece in 20 of their 50 stores, and that gives you good exposure. It's good for Meyer, they get the brand, and uh, it's good for a new brand like Joe Black. Um, but they do curate the uh, the brands they choose. They're trying to get a profile. Meyer is trying to attract uh, the young uh, man, um, you know, the guy that's working hard and probably uh, topping out at 35 in their uh, demographic for this kind of product. And um, they're, they're selecting very carefully who they put in. Ashley, I imagine retail design is probably uh, like designing for a school or an institution where there's this huge huge group of people to satisfy. Everyone has an opinion about how they want their section, whether it's cosmetics or fashion or shoes, mm. how they see it. And so you're dealing with so many different people, I imagine. Yeah, so many different egos. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, it is it is um, very hard. As a designer, you want a certain look. The merchandise person will have a different priority. They will probably want more product on the floor. Uh, and so you're up against those things all the time. Um, and... We also find with clients, um, I mean, everybody wants to be a retailer now, so the banks are, you know, trying to be retailers. And what do you mean by that? Well... <coughs> to create this very welcoming well, yes, sense of arrival. Yes, yes. We, we did a project for um, one of the banks for a home loan centre, and it, this was going into a Westfield Mall, and about 300 square metres, so not a small um, space, and... Basically, the bank has nothing to sell in terms of product. So you won't mention the bank. No, I won't mention the bank, but it's that bank. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, and uh, th they really don't have any product. So the solution was that we try and we're talking about home loans. Uh, this particular bank is trying to focus on that area. So we set the project up as a series of rooms. So we had a kitchen and we had a dining room and a lounge room, uh, a study area and uh, even an outdoor alfresco area, uh, albeit uh, um, you know, somewhat uh, um, 
uh, uh, mocked up, um, and the staff sat with the customer in these various settings with a laptop, and um, that's how they transacted. There were no tellers and, uh, you know, no interview rooms. It was uh, a house. And these and, are people applying for home loans. These are people applying for home loans. It's been very successful for them. It was a bit of a risk, and uh, we're doing a number of them now. But this is, you know, a traditionally um, service service industry that's trying to move into the retail sector. And, uh, you know, I think the days of tellers and, uh, you know, all the things that we normally see in a bank, they're, they're, they're fast coming to an end. There'll be far more automation and... Uh, They'll be within malls. Um, actually, look, I'm looking at a project called the Grown, 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 Sorry, Grown, uh, Grown, yes. Grown uh, Alchemist, uh, which is a very interesting project. It's a chemist, um, and it's so stripped back. It's minimalism. <laughs> well, on um, steroids. <clears throat> it is. It really is. This particular client, it's a range of um, skincare, healthcare products. Uh, and they wanted it to look um, l like it was based in science. So we came up with this idea of the laboratory. It's, so there is a laboratory bench and a laboratory tap in there. Uh, the, the products have been very well founded in some good science. They're both the scientists, the, the, the clients, and these are spectacular products. So they wanted a little installation that can go into, again, department stores. So startup brand uh, trying to find their presence around the country they've gone to uh, one of the department stores and we're producing this as a module that we can slide into maybe 20 locations but it's got to tell a story and the and the, as you say this it, it is like it's on steroids a bit yeah. uh, but it's beautifully it's, done yeah it's it, it is nicely really fine. done yeah and yeah. would actually would the idea be that it starts in the department store environment and then once that concept takes hold then they would start looking at street level they would look for a strip site yes or a, or a mall site and um but they need that momentum so they're retrieving capital initially and it's the sort of thing that uh, department stores are very happy to uh, to entertain um, I'm also looking at just very simple things because you employ an industrial designer. You know, you, you look at products. You look at how to display products. We sure do. <laughs> um, and that's an art in itself. I mean, you know, you've, you've designed several installations. How do they tend to work? Do, are they very prescriptive when the, when the client comes to you and says, look, this is the concept we want. It has to be arranged this way or not at all? Yes, yes. How do, and how do you embellish <clears throat> it and how do you take a, something that can be quite prescriptive into some something quite new? The um, retail is about, you know, it's certainly at the big end where we're doing a whole department store or um, a, a big space, but it is, as you say, all about product too. So we have to look at how to display product um, within a fixture. There was one another image I gave you that is probably one we've just put down there, um, which was for a pen company, an old-fashioned pen company called Kueco, a German brand, and uh, they came to us with the same problem. They wanted to introduce this range of pens into a store. Now, pens are difficult because it's a so very small. small product, mm. and 
the product itself, when sold, came in a lovely rectangular uh, tin with little curved edges on the on the on the tin. Quite a lovely thing. So we took that tin and we said, well, what would happen if we uh, made that? sort of life size um, and then put some little yes and put some little uh, trays in it with some backlighting and it worked because it was talking to this old uh, brand uh, the traditional tin Where is, is it part from of it. it's a German brand oh, okay. and I hadn't heard of it either but uh, it's not uh, a particularly luxurious brand but they're good quality pens and again that's gone into um, well they've introduced that into work uh, Kmart's of uh, all places, and Kmart's have got their own agenda about trying to turn up their uh, uh, their product range as well. So it, it can be a challenge. You have to find an idea that talks to the product. Actually, with so many years' experience in retail, what would be some of the biggest mistakes retailers make? And they just think um, it seems <laughs> like an obvious thing to do, but you don't have to mention names. No, but someone, there's some I'd like to mention, but I won't. Would, but things <laughs> that people just think, oh, that's a good <clears throat> idea, but it's actually, it might be obvious, but it's actually the worst thing to do. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's a good question. Retailers always um, think they know what is best. They certainly know how many SKUs they need and um, you know what sales they've got to meet, but they invariably feel that more product on the floor is better and bombard people just fill fill up the floor space with as much product and as many merchandising fixtures as you can uh, and hopefully um, lose the um, customer in that uh, uh, in that environment and they'll keep moving and uh, um, find what they want they Whereas the truth is, uh, less product, better displayed and uh, presented, is a much nicer retail experience. I mean, I'm sure you've been into good retail environments where you love the environment, you love the product, and before you know it, you've bought three things that you hadn't planned to buy. Now, that's really good retailing because that's part of the experience and uh, that doesn't happen all the time uh, you know with a high-end brand such as uh, Burberry, Burberry that's a little bit more destinational but uh, the middle level products you often find a store where you think oh gee that's a really nice t-shirt oh and I like all the colors I think I'll get all those and oh they've got some nice belts to go with those jeans and because it's a comprehensive offer and it's been well thought through it it kind of links into a part of the uh, the customer that just says, "Yeah, this is right for me. I feel comfortable." I'm I'm a um, I'm a shopper that uh, isn't all well. I'm impulsive, but I try to shop three or four times a year, not every week. People are different. My partner likes to shop um, several times a day, and I discover where she's been when the American Express uh, card comes in at the uh, end of the month. Boy, does she get around. Anyway, um, but I will go every, every few months, and uh, if I found uh, the right offer, I'd probably spend the same amount as anyone else would in a year, but I, I'll, um, I, I can get uh, uh, excited by the right offer, and uh, I, I think that's good retailing if you can engage with the customer. I mean, for years we've been having, or there's been discussions about, you know, uh, bricks and mortar being dead and everything's online. Do you think there's been a shift, shift back 
towards think, yes. bricks and mortar and that retail experience? Yes, because um, it, th- that experience can't be had online. Certainly, if you want to buy ink cartridges or, you know, uh, the more basic things, I, I, I think that's where its strength will be. But it, it's peaked the online sales. It's not climbing all that much, whereas the retailers are, um, you know, still spending money on their stores and people still want to go out and... Uh, uh, shop. I mean, you only have to look at Chadston, I suppose. They've done stage 19 or whatever it is. It's huge. It's a, huge. City. It's a city, and that's an enormous investment, but there's no empty shops out there. Uh, so I think uh, the retail ex- experience is uh, still going out and going to a shop. What it has done, though, is it's forced retailers to think very carefully about what is it you know what is going to attract people and uh, I think you're right there's a swing back to the bricks and mortar um, environment um, Ashley I hope you don't mind the next question it's very niche but and it's probably (laughs) probably difficult to think about but when you travel overseas and you look at great retail fit outs um, and you see something how does Australia compare in terms of the culture like is there something that we can't do here that is a mm. given overseas because that's just their culture. But here it just wouldn't work. And people try it. And yes, is it, there something specific that we just can't do here because it just isn't I'm, accepted? I'm not sure there is. I, I think we do retail as well as anyone. Um, we would... Um, uh, we, we sometimes see retailers try a... American model and um, the master's uh, disaster for uh, Woolworths was that they really based their offer uh, on a um, American Walmart um, uh, range of products and it was very well slanted towards an American customer and it wasn't thought through. So I I think we can't immediately bring uh, an idea from overseas and make it successful um, but I think in terms of what we need uh, in the retail environment in Australia we do it very well. The stores are certainly uh, excellent. Um, in a big city you might find a lot more uh, exotic niche retailers you know you might you might find someone who's just selling you know handmade combs or something in a little boutique shop that's a big city big market kind of proposition i mean paris does that paris does that yes because but, there seems to be a market for everything there is i mean there's button shops in paris and uh, you know antiquities and yeah, all sorts yes. of things that, you... that wouldn't be directly transferable to australia some things that struggle here yeah that's true um, and uh, it is a cultural thing. Um, uh, again, some uh, people can't see the value in paying uh, for high-end product. And if anything, Australians are a little more reluctant to spend $5,000 on a Louis Vuitton bag, whereas um, in Paris or London, um, young people seem to think that that's something that is a basic necessity in life. So. I think on the whole, uh, most things are transferable, but cultural values change. And probably Melbourne, unlike Sydney, doesn't get the tourism market that Sydney gets, and that obviously must influence the way design is delivered here. 
It does. We, we get a surprising number of tourists. We do get a lot of um, busloads of uh, tourists coming in from Southeast Asia, and they're on a spending uh, mission. mission. Uh, and uh, I have uh, um, a colleague who runs uh, Burberry Australia, and um, th they have trouble getting enough product into their Melbourne and Sydney stores at various times of the year because people come in and they buy, f clear them out, you know, four handbags and three coats, and th th their inventory drops very quickly. And he's that's one of his problems uh, to cope with the tourist demand for, um, you know, these high-end products wouldn't be a busload of Australians necessarily um, that are born and bred here, but it's a, again, it's a cultural thing. Um, Ashley, is there another part of your business that seems to be growing that perhaps started as just a bit of an idea and now you think, oh God, we're actually doing a lot of this now? Or have you just become so specialised in retail that people just come to you because you're a retail guru? We seem to be getting quite a bit of um, flagship retail work at the moment. And... Um, uh, you know, the concept of the flagship is that it's an expensive store because it's flying the brand and uh, uh, more than anything else, um, uh, the client wants to represent the brand and give it good coverage. So, you know, everyone's a retailer again. So this particular flagship that we're doing here in Melbourne in Burke Street on a beautiful site near the uh, Australia Post building or within the Australia Post building, it's a pharmacy, of all things. Now, this is a newcomer. Um, uh, it, it's a well-known brand uh, for medical health, but uh, they're now going to roll out 500 pharmacies. Wow. So uh, they're um, trying to put a flagship in each each uh, city at the moment, so this will be the first one. Now, this is a beautiful space. It's two stories high. I think we even gave you an image of it. But um, uh, how do you make a pharmacy look special? Well, you can, and uh, um, th this this is a flagship. It will cost a lot more than the store down the corner that you go to, but uh, that work seems to be growing. We've got uh, uh, two others for another one for a brand of... Uh, um, mobile phones and uh, that will be in Sydney in Pitt Street so this work seems to be coming to us and uh, it's a retailer saying well okay let's um, let's really fly the brand I don't care if this store doesn't make enough money because we won't have the same number of SKUs it's branding it's giving an it's, identity it, but it's give it's saying something about the well brand. that's where I think yeah. architecture and design helps you know, oh, it is guy. basically you're you're not just selling a product. You're selling the architecture. You're selling the interior. You're selling the experience. And people, you know, it is that experience that people are, are looking for. It and, is exactly. And you can't get that online, and uh, so that's why it's interesting. Years ago, you know, it was kind of like, oh, all the bricks and mortar are going, and, and, it's, and there was panic. Yes, there was there, panic. there was panic, and, and needlessly. I mean, uh, if. Uh, if you look at uh, some beautiful architecture and interior design, the Apple stores are quite extraordinary. Now, very modern, like them, hate them, yeah. but they're expensive yeah. and beautifully um, uh, detailed and support the product so well. And uh, the, these, 
there the product is kind of leading the charge because it was a design-based product and you know people have opinions about Apple and all of those things but from a design point of view the product's beautiful and the stores are and too. They have a synergy. Yes they do and, and you could say the same with the um, you know some of the luxury brands of Burberry they're not going to uh, put their handbag on a PVC shelf. They're they're, they're going to want hand stitch leather on the shelves, and the, the the store has to be meticulous, just like the the high end product is itself. Um, Ashley, look, thanks so much for coming in today. It's a pleasure to have you on. I I think it's a fascinating area. I think it's an area that people take for granted. Uh, but you know when you get it right, and I think equally you know when it doesn't work. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, thank you, Stephen. I, I consider it an honour. It, it's been very nice talking to you, and uh, uh, let's uh, keep talking in the future about uh, design. You've been with Stephen Crafty. I've been with Ashley Parker, who's an interior designer and architect and director of Parker Design in Melbourne. Thanks so much for being here.